this is what happens when pot is legal in some states, sort of legal in others, and completely illegal in places like Kansas, where frankly they could use some. I can't think of another example of a drug that's legal in one state, but not in another. It's not a tenable situation. Because when I leave Colorado, Oregon, Washington, or Alaska, my back pain doesn't go away, or whatever it is I have. I'm kidding, I used medical marijuana because my third eye has glaucoma. And you know, it's, it's acting up right now. Maybe, uh, maybe I should, uh... Maybe I should treat it. This is private property and I do have a card, so... If you were arrested or charged for cannabis possession or other related crimes, call Bruno Law Offices at 217-328-6000. Their licensed attorneys in Champaign, Illinois are ready to speak with you. You can also find Bruno Law Offices online at tombruno.com. If you recall, Evan Bruno from Bruno Law Offices recently came onto our show to talk about the shortcomings of the Cannabis Regulation and Tax Act for the state of Illinois. If you missed the episode, I highly suggest that you go and check it out. We pasted a link for that episode in the, ep- in the description for this episode. I figured that we'll have a focused conversation for the first half of this interview, and we'll break out some cannabis for the second half of this interview. Evan, Welcome back to the Chillinois podcast. Thank you, Cole. So uh, for folks, whoa, I'm uh, crashing things around. Um, so for folks that didn't listen to the uh, episode that you, you were originally on, your first appearance on the Chillinois podcast, go ahead and reintroduce yourself uh, to the audience. Thanks. My name is Evan Bruno. I'm a uh, criminal defense attorney in Urbana, Illinois at Bruno Law Offices, and I'm a Cannabis smoker, cannabis advocate, I guess. I didn't choose to be one, but um, circumstances forced me into the position, and I'm gladly um, trying to be the... the um, I'm trying to be someone who is pushing the, uh, the public view of cannabis in the positive direction, um, Basically, I'm coming out of the closet as a cannabis user, and I don't really care who knows it. Um, and I'm hoping to at least sway some people to do the same. Yeah, well, uh, like I mentioned on the first uh, episode that you were on, uh, seeing your father, who's a, a I mean, well-known defense attorney and uh, the deputy mayor at large here in Champaign-Urbana, is that correct? He's a at-large city council member, and... God, you're putting me on the spot. I Sorry, don't know if he's still the deputy mayor. I know he was. The point is he's he a public be. figure that yeah. a lot of people know, and he's in the newspaper all the time. And to see him purchase cannabis from my co-host, Justine, legally the first day uh, that, that adults, adult use sales were permitted uh, was something that uh, I liked to see, frankly, in the in the newspaper. And I think a lot of, a lot of other people were like, what like like in a in a good way mm-hmm. like they're like Holy, the, he uses cannabis you know so 
I want to say thank you for doing the work that you do because, um, you know, I said it to the Pot Brothers at Law. They were one of the first people that I saw in a suit and tie advocating not only for the ability to use cannabis with just, right, that shouldn't be a crime. Right. uh, But also fighting for the rights of folks that use cannabis because, of course, as we've talked about, um, even when so-called legalization happens, there's still things you got to work towards to ultimately achieve uh, what you've called and what we like to, what we hope to see, which is meaningful reform. Right. Yeah. Well, the normalization of it. Yeah. Bringing it out of the category of embarrassing things you have to be ashamed of or that you need to hide or that you can't talk to your professional colleagues about. Um, Basically, it it shouldn't be in a different category from acknowledging that you enjoy an IPA or a glass of champagne. Yeah. It's not different. And so let's stop pretending like it is. Absolutely. Well said. Well, um, you know, you've got a lot of uh, documents like I started off with uh, in front of you today. Where do do we want to start? I think at one point or another, we should cover old ground and maybe recap some of the things we discussed on the podcast. And maybe as a matter of fact, we will. Um, but I just wanted to throw out there that for folks that hadn't heard the first one, we'll do a light recap, maybe towards the end of the show. Let's talk about maybe some of the things you'd like to talk about. Sure. Thanks. I, um, when we did the last episode, I didn't really know what to expect. I'd never met you until we sat down with the microphones and, um, I listened to the podcast a second time and I hated the way my voice sounded. So I'm trying (laughs) to project more this time. Um, and also I, you know, um, this time I wanted to, if an issue comes up, I don't want to have to say, uh, I think the law says this. So I've printed off some pertinent sections of the Cannabis Control Act, yeah, which is the existing criminal statute in Illinois that makes so many things having to do with cannabis a crime. I've printed off pertinent portions of the Cannabis Regulation and Tax Act, which has been advanced and kind of promoted as something that legalizes cannabis. But as we've mentioned, as we talked about on the previous podcast, all the Illinois Cannabis or the Cannabis Regulation and Tax Act does is kind of extends a, a series of stepping stones out above the Cannabis Control Act and says, stay on these stepping stones, stay on this tightrope, don't break any of the rules in the Cannabis Regulation and Tax Act and you won't fall into the criminal dungeon of the Cannabis Control Act. So I have those two portions of those two statutes. I have some other um, documents, uh, public official statements from the Illinois State Police, the Illinois Sheriff's Association, um, and some statements from law enforcement advocacy groups before and since legalization, um, kind of putting forward their views and their reasons on why this is all going to cause the sky to fall. And I'd really like to talk about those at some point. Sure. Um, I think, I know you're the host, but I think a good place to start maybe is where the legislature started. Yeah. When it passed the Cannabis Regulation and Tax Act, which in quotes, legalized cannabis, but as we've talked about, really, really didn't. I'm going to, I'll figure out where this table is, folks. I promise. (laughs) It's okay. I bumped into it all the time. (laughs) Um, so when, uh, 
legislature, whether it's the federal Congress or a state legislature, passes any new law of any significance, especially something that's really um, that's controversial and that there's a lot of discussion about, they will usually, early on in the statute, the first thing they do is lay out their findings. The findings kind of help guide uh, an understanding of why this new law is being passed, what it's intending to do, um, and why the, what the existing status quo, uh, what characteristics of the existing status quo should be fixed. Sure. And just briefly, one of the things that the legislature found in passing the Cannabis Regulation and Tax Act was um, Part A, in the interest of allowing law enforcement to focus on violent and property crimes. That's the first word of the findings. That's the first clause of the findings of this act, which basically says, and the way I interpret it is it's the legislature saying, let's back off from criminalization of cannabis because it's not a violent crime. It's not a property crime. Let's start focusing on important crimes and free up resources to focus on real important stuff that actually harms the community. Um, that is kind of the guiding light for this statute. And as I think we've discussed, the, the statute veers off and starts going in a different direction. Whether intentionally or unintentionally, it doesn't live up to that first clause that law enforcement should focus on violent and property crimes. Because as I've mentioned on the previous podcast, the Cannabis Regulation and Tax Act does not repeal a single criminal offense. It doesn't touch the Cannabis Control Act, the existing criminalization act that's been around for a long time. It simply creates um, certain rules that if you follow them all to a T, you are shielded from the existing criminal penalties. Right. Um, and so that's, I think that's a good place to start, is the idea that um, apparently the purpose of quote-unquote legalization under the Cannabis Regulation and Tax Act, or one of the main guiding lights, is to move enforcement resources away from cannabis. Right. Utter failure. Yeah. It's an utter failure yeah. because it didn't resist, it didn't repeal and exist any existing laws. And in fact, it simply made a ton of new rules. So um, those rules are not enforced by, you know, um, unarmed uh, citizens that are, you know, authorized by the state to go around and issue hall pass, you know, or warnings or detentions. Those new rules are enforced by cops with guns and handcuffs and squad yep. cars. So what are we doing? Well, right. what's, what's this whole thing about saving resources? Yeah, that's, that's crazy. And it's one of the reasons which folks that have listened to the first episode, it, it's kind of, I believe I set the stage on why I reached out to you. I saw that part of your listed services were that you do cannabis defense. And my first question was, why do you still have a job? Not why do you have a job in general? It's, I hope everybody... You know, I wish everybody well and hope that they can do whatever they want. And if it's a job that you want, God damn it, you deserve it. Right. I'm just trying to be funny. I appreciate that. No, that's good. I... Anyways, though, the, the question is, uh, I, I was like, why do you have a job defending people? Like cannabis should be legal, right? Why are there cannabis defense attorneys in Illinois? And so that's 
a a one on my list why why I reached out to you and so yeah yeah I just wanted to to kind of put that back into the lens of how we got back to, how we got together because like you say I, I I hadn't actually seen this specifically I mean you've got the document in front of me you mind if I See sure. this really quick. So this is what I just read. This is the findings, like the general findings at the he- head of the cannabis or the uh, cannabis Regula- regulation and tax act. Yeah. And it's clear as day point, point a, um, which, uh, maybe after the show we can talk about, uh, I could make, maybe you could send me the links and I'll have them in the podcast description so people can see some of these documents sure. if, if at all possible. Um, but, uh, yeah, clear as day. Uh, point A, the first point, <laughs> in the interest of allowing law enforcement to focus on violent and property crimes, generating revenue for education, right? These things, uh, substance abuse prevention and treatment, freeing public resources to invest in communities and other public ser- uh, purposes. Um, you know, we they could maybe argue that some of the tax dollars that they're getting can be used to achieve some of these other goals, but that say, first goal. Is a, yeah, is that a whiff. first goal is, yeah. It's a whiff. Well, also, in a, miss. <laughs> that's not the only interest. There's a different section of the Cannabis Regulation Tax Act, Article 7, Social Equity in the Cannabis Industry. Findings. Finding C, the General Assembly also finds and declares that individuals who have been arrested or incarcerated due to drug laws suffer long-lasting negative consequences including impacts to employment, business ownership, housing, health, and long-term financial well-being. And then it goes on to lay out the whole social equity infrastructure of the Cannabis Regulation Tax Act, which kind of prioritizes giving grow licenses and dispensary licenses to people who have been negatively affected by drug laws. Yeah. Of course, though, this is an acknowledgement from the legislature that drug laws have negative, suffer long-lasting and negative consequences, including employment, business ownership, et cetera, like I just read. So the legis- this is an extraordinary finding for a legislature not only to make for, for one, one representative or one senator to make, but for a majority of them who voted on this bill, voted on this language, and acknowledged that drug laws cause long-lasting negative consequences. And that that's something that's a problem. Yeah. So, again, it's a total whiff to try to solve that because they didn't repeal any of the drug laws. They just made more drug laws. Now the crime is not simply possessing or using cannabis, but it's possessing or using cannabis in a way that doesn't fit in with this law. And it's not like giving cannabis to a baby. It's like smoking cannabis on your back porch. Yeah, and that's, that's, I wanted to make sure we made that distinction because one of the main uh, criticisms that, that this episode got, which obviously people that didn't listen to the episode was that they were like, well, of course, uh, you know, certain crimes will remain with regard to cannabis. I mean, for example, uh, do you think people should be able to drive while high? I don't think we've ever, we never actually argued for that. Uh, I don't think anybody sensible is arguing for people to be intoxicated while driving. I would be remiss to say if I don't, I mean, I think it happens every day. People are on prescription medication and I think people are driving intoxicated every day. So, but, but again, like you say, these aren't laws like that, which are sensible, I would say that, you know, giving, like you said, the example you gave, giving cannabis to a child, I think there should be punishment for that. Just like there is punishment 
for giving alcohol to a child, right? Right. So. And maybe that maybe there should be. So here's my big gripe. If I want to make it, if I can try to boil it down. Sure. I'm not saying that people should be able to smoke marijuana in their University of Illinois dorm room. Yeah. I'm not saying people should be able to possess marijuana at a daycare. What I'm saying is if those things are against the rules, don't make them misdemeanor criminal offenses punishable by jail time. Make the punishment proportionate to the harm or potential harm done. Now, if someone possesses cannabis in their vehicle while they're picking up their kid from daycare, that's not a problem. Let's just acknowledge that that's not a problem. The problem is if they, if somehow some kid at the daycare gets cannabis and ingests it somehow. Yeah. Like that's, that's the problem. But the legislature has kind of tried to pull back any activity to try to put so much buffer between the actual fear, the fear that maybe um, a kid gets high off cannabis against their will. They've tried to put such a big buffer that now something like, you know, even picking up your kid at a daycare with cannabis in your car, or driving up to the high school to get, let your kid get in the passenger seat. If you have cannabis in your car, you're committing a criminal offense. Yeah. Um, and it's not, you know, if you're driving on a street or if you're pulling to a Wendy's, you're not. But if you go onto the grounds of a high school, you are. I get it that that should be against the rules. Yeah. But if we're going to say that cannabis is legal, we can't just have a criminal hammer to fall on everyone's head whenever they break those rules. Because right. then it's not legal. Right. Then it's not even decriminalized. And this is the thing. I don't know if we mentioned this on the, if I talked about this on the last podcast, but um I think there's a good argument to be made. Uh, I've, you know, the more you think about it, the more obvious it is that we kind of have looked at, or I've, maybe, maybe I'm the only one, but I've always kind of looked at decriminalization as the kind of skim milk cousin of legalization. I always yeah. thought legalization is a more meaningful reform than decriminalization. But if you think about it, it's the opposite. Because we yeah. now have legalization, quote unquote, but right. we do not have decriminalization. Right. If we had decriminalization, there would be an enforcement mechanism other than criminal law. Mm -hmm. There is no enforcement mechanism other than criminal law. And one thing we pointed out in the last episode that I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't touch on again is the fact that in 2019, with the decriminalization of cannabis, which was passed by Governor Bruce Rauner against his will, I think. Um, uh, but I will say, just to give credit where credit's due, um, it, w it originally came to his desk. I think it was for decriminalization of 30 grams of cannabis, which is what we essentially have now. Um, and, and he said, it's too much. Whoa, whoa, it's too much, you know, it's scary. Uh, but if you get back to me with something smaller, I'll pass it into law. They did that. He did that. That's what we in ended up with decriminalization of cannabis. But the point I wanted to make was that the, uh, the crime or the, the amount of trouble that you could get into for simply, let's just say having an eighth in your pocket in your car is different, is drastically more post-legalization than it was before legalization because we've defined uh, 
transport in a vehicle and that it has to be inaccessible and all that. Right. And the container and all that shit. Right. The um, crime is uh, 625 ILCS 11-501-1.2, something like that. I don't know. I'm impressed. It's a it's a trick. It's just a it's a parlor trick that lawyers can do because, um, and I, I fumbled it at the last part, so it's not impressive at all. But that offense here's an interesting thing. I think you're gonna. This is just a, an illustration of how stupid all of this is. Back when the only legal cannabis you could possess in Illinois was medical cannabis, that was the only exception to absolute prohibition. Medical cannabis. The legislature made a law that said. Possession of man- medical cannabis in a vehicle is a class A misdemeanor if it's not in a sealed, child-resistant, odor-proof container. They made us another law that said, if you violate that, you're subject to a one-year license suspension. When legalization came in at the beginning of 2020, they made a new law that said, if you possess adult-use recreational cannabis in your car, not in a child-resistant, sealed, odor-proof container, it's a Class A misdemeanor. But what they didn't do is make a counterpart law that said that you lose your license for 12 months if you violate it. So, if you are a medical card holder and you're possessing cannabis not in that special container in your car, you lose your license for a year. If you're just a recreational user and you possess it not in the right container, you don't lose your license for a year. Well, that needs to be addressed immediately because uh, we're the only people that can cultivate cannabis at home, and that means that we don't have a container. Well, I guess you could you could buy a container that uh, meets those uh, definitions. It doesn't not have... really. Well, okay, yeah, the that's odor-proof. a separate issue. Yeah, that's a separate issue. But yeah, let's get into that. Sure. So we talked on. Um, our last podcast about the odor-proof container, and we pointed out, where do you get these things? Yep. You know, if the cartel found out about the odor-proof container, that'd be a windfall. Yeah. There are, and I think you said that you talked to a, a police officer who said yeah. his interpretation was it has to be in the original container from a dispensary? Correct. Okay. <laughs> After that podcast, I went to the dispensary, and I got some bud in in the container they gave me. I put it in my car, in my truck. And this is this was like, um, I don't know, a few weeks ago when the weather was still relatively warm. Put it in my truck in an inaccessible place, as far away from my driver's seat as I could, but I have a pickup truck, so I, I don't have a trunk. Yeah. Anyway, put it in my truck, came back out to my truck when I was on my way home, and my truck smelled like a dispensary. Yeah. It reeked. Yeah. Because those are not odor-proof containers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And so how, how can this be the law? Yeah. And not only could I smell it, but I have... Um, so this, I printed off... Um, if you Google Illinois Association of Chiefs of Police, marijuana, you'd probably find this document. It's, um, it's actually like a web page that has some frequently asked questions about the Cannabis Regulation and Tax Act. The Illinois Association of Chiefs of Police has this frequently asked question. What about canines? If my dog is imprinted for marijuana, meaning if my dog is trained to smell marijuana, do I have to retire that dog? Question. The answer says no, the dog doesn't have to be retired, its utility will be impaired, blah, blah, blah. And then it says, the statute does seem to make 
provisions to permit the continued use of canines in connection with vehicle stops because it requires cannabis and vehicles to be transported only in odor-proof containers. Thus, if the canine sniffs cannabis, it can be argued it is contraband per se because it is not in an odor-proof container. So, if, you, if there was any question about how the police in Illinois view that, um, if a dog can sniff it, those, the police guidance from the Illinois Association of Chiefs of Police says that it's probable cause. There's a, this is from the McHenry County State's Attorney's Office. This is not a police organization. This is sitting state's attorney's office. Yeah, that a lot of, uh, just really quick, that a lot of police organizations look to for their interpretation of the law. Is that correct? Right. Well, police organizations usually will look to their state's attorney of the county okay. for guidance. Or, I, I don't know. I, I'm not a police officer, sure. but I would assume that um, if one state's attorney's office believes this or uses this interpretation, it's probably relatively common. Yeah. It, basically, the question is, if a dog smells, if a dog alerts to the odor of cannabis inside of a car, is it probable cause? Mm -hmm. And the McHenry County State's Attorney's Office says, if a dog can hit on the odor of cannabis in a vehicle, then the cannabis is not in an odor-proof container as prescribed by law. So... It'd be like if um, it'd be like if there was a law that said you can possess Coca-Cola, but only in a um, only in the original paper carton. Well, you can't get Coca-Cola in a paper carton, so there's no way to possess it without it being illegal. Yeah. It, or you know you can possess bananas, but only if they're in their original purple packaging. Yeah. Well, no one sells. Bananas in purple packaging. The only way to get bananas, the only way to get Coca-Cola is how it comes. Yeah. And the only way to get cannabis is how it comes. And as far as I know, at least in Champaign-Urbana, there's nowhere to buy cannabis in a container that's actually odor-proof. And I just like to put it this way. Because I asked the person that, that was pretty confident in his canine's ability and you know was pointing to all these plaques and pictures of himself with canines and training other people how to you know, the whole thing right and i asked him is there such a thing as an odor proof container have you have has somebody cracked it i mean of course the answer is well if if they did i don't know that because my dog didn't tr trigger on him so it's kind of a hard question to answer but in that he admitted like there's very little that my dog's not going to trigger on right you know what i mean yeah. and that and the i mean let's just talk about we don't have to get into this because neither of us are vets. Uh, I don't mean veterans, but veterinarians. Uh, but let's just apply some common dog knowledge. They've got very intense senses of smell. Yeah, they can smell a sock from like five miles away, right? <laughs> yeah. So. What are we talking about? Of course the canine's going to be able to smell it. Yeah. And I've seen some interpretations somewhere. I, I don't remember where I saw this, but to the credit of the police agency or the commentator who said this, if the person at the dispensary, say you do have an odor-proof container, you've, yeah. you've cracked the code, you've, you know, the scientists at MIT have developed the odor-proof container. Yeah. If you take a bud in your hand, say you've got a latex glove on, say it's a bare hand, whatever. You take a bud, you put it in the container, and you seal it up. A German shepherd is going to be able to smell the residue from your fingertips on the outside of the container. Yeah. They're, these, they're like gods. They're yeah. smelling gods. 
or if you ever have a jacket that's in the same room as you smoke or or just i mean it could not even be you it could be your uh you know significant other the point is is that it like smell sticks to a lot yeah. of different things if you things. i would bet if you ate a gummy and farted a german <laughs> shepherd would be able to smell the thc <laughs> yeah. in there yeah and one of the things we haven't even mentioned i don't think on the last podcast or yet is why does it matter? Why does the state have an interest in prohibiting cannabis from being smellable yeah. in a car? Yeah. Wouldn't you think the, the smell is not going to hurt anyone? Yeah. No one's saying that the smell of cannabis hurts someone. I know that there's, I know that there's a lot of interest of people don't want to have to smell cannabis from their neighbors when they're smoking or whatever. But what's the state's interest in prohibiting? the odor of cannabis from being detectable at a, in a car. Why yeah. is that even part of the law? You know why it's part of the law? My suspicion is so that the police can have probable cause to search your car. <laughs> yeah, exactly. obviously. Exactly. Why else would that be in there? Yeah. That's a windfall. That's a Trojan horse. It gives the police. <laughs> this is why it's not actually legalization. It's easier to get in trouble for cannabis now than it was before legalization. Yeah. I well, can't beat that drum hard enough. Now let me ask you this. It, it, and it may be a, a case of this person, you know, needs to know their rights. But let me throw out like a hypothetical scenario for you just to play a devil's advocate. If somebody gets pulled over and their car reeks of booze, um, you know, some people, I know you're a defense attorney, so your take, knowing your rights and everything else, your take's going to be much different than I think just a normal person, which would assume that, if your car reeks of booze, then maybe there's a conversation to be had. Um, and some people might say the same with cannabis. But my thing is, it's like, it's a little bit of like, and I hate that what I'm about to get into involves discretion, which is the problem because discretion can be used. Uh, well, there's a disparity often is what we see with the use of discretion, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, but I don't know. I was just trying to say that like, if it were that you were all over the road, there's a bong in your cup holder, and they pull you over and your car reeks of cannabis, different situation than if they just smell cannabis. I just want to say that because some people, again, some people are like, they think that we're advocating for do whatever you want. No, we're just saying that, and I want to boil it back down to your question, why is just the dete the detection of odor in a vehicle cause for any criminal action yeah you know? why is that a problem yeah um it's not illegal to have your car smell like booze okay so if you're hit if you're hitting me with a hypothetical there's no crime against having your car smell like booze yeah you could fucking i guess dump it on you your could dump a whole bottle accident. of vodka on purpose <laughs> or you on could purpose. dump on, you could intentionally buy a alcohol flavored uh air freshener if you wanted to that's not illegal you could also dump alcohol all over your seats now, it's illegal to have a container of alcohol open in your car. Right. Um, but assuming you don't have an open container of alcohol, there's no crime. That's not even a crime, actually. That's a petty offense of unlawful transportation of alcohol. If a cop pulled you over and your car reeked of booze, that would probably give the officer probable cause to ask you to get out of your car and perform field sobriety tests to make sure that you're not drunk, yeah. as it should be. Yeah. I don't want any me or any of my family members to get killed by a drunk driver. Sure. I don't want any of my family members to get killed by a high driver. Yeah. Even if you're not all over the road, if your car reeks of booze, I want the cop to take you out and make yeah. sure that you're good to go. I want to make sure that you're good to drive. Yeah. Um, I mean, 
the uh, and in the scenario of obviously if there's a bong in your car, if the cop has a reason to think that you're high and you're driving, uh, yeah. That's, I don't have any complaint with mm-hmm. the officer doing a DUI investigation at that point. Yeah. It's the standalone crime of the smell is the crime. Right. Which is different from alcohol. Yes. Why is it different from alcohol? I mean, I guess you can be the judge of that. That's a subjective. You'd have to get into the head of the legislatures and the lobbyists that they listen to yeah. to make the odor of cannabis the crime. Right. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, I want to thank you for like, I I think it's important every once in a while to step back and make sure that we're clear because that was the the biggest misunderstanding, I think, with the first episode. It's like, no, I'm, I'm, we're, we are advocating uh, just for these things to be treated at least equivalent. Let's start with equivalent, right? Yeah. I think that's a good baseline because that's... Even though there's, I think anyone who's ever gotten high versus gotten (laughs) drunk can testify or can can acknowledge that when you get really, really high, you're not, you're able to stand usually. You're not bumping into tables and stuff. So I think, I think everyone can also agree alcohol can get you a lot more fucked up. Yeah. Inebriated. And (laughs) it's a lot, the, your ability to operate a vehicle safely probably goes down with alcohol more than it does with weed. I Mm -hmm. don't want people getting high and driving anywhere around me. I'll just, I'm totally acknowledging that. Yeah. Um, you know, my thing, I'm pro safety. Yeah. The reason why I'm pro safety is because I don't want people's lives to get fucked up. Yeah. That's also the reason why I'm pro reasonable drug laws. Because I don't want someone's life to get fucked up because they have a container from the dispensary that a dog can smell. <laughs> yeah. I'm, uh, here's what I am I'm pro people's lives not getting fucked up. Yeah, that's whether it's getting hit by a drunk driver or whether it's getting hit by a cannabis charge that ruins their life and makes them lose their job and maybe puts them in jail. I don't want people's lives to get screwed up if they don't have to. Yeah. And if they do have to, so be it. I'm a criminal defense attorney. It's not my position that crimes are good. Yeah. It's not my position that criminals are good. Yeah. I mean, there can be quote unquote criminals who are good people who have done bad things. Yeah. But. And not to get too far in the weeds on that. But let's be, uh, just to maybe, I don't know if this is exactly what you were trying to say, but let's just be frank. It would benefit you for these laws to continue to be kind of ambiguous because uh, if it's easy for me to get in trouble, that means you have a lot of people to defend, right? My bottom line (laughs) is helped by the more, I would love to live in somewhere like North Korea if there was a job for criminal defense attorneys there. (laughs) I would be, you know, I couldn't make enough trips to the bank. Yeah. If, if everything was a crime, it'd be great for my business. Right. I'm not a psychopath. Yeah. And I live in the world too. Yeah. And I don't care about nothing but money. I, I, I want things to be reasonable. I, you know, I, I'm not a lawyer who just wants uh, to have as many possible clients as possible. Yeah. I, I want, I want the world to be a reasonable place. I want to live in a state that is reasonable with its citizens about, what they can and can't do. It's just interesting because your advocacy for this subject is almost against your financial interest. Oh, it's definitely against my financial interest. Yeah. yeah I, so anyways, um, I'm trying to push everyone onto harder drugs. No, no, no. no I'm just kidding. That's a, that's a joke. That's a joke. It's a joke. People. It's a joke. Hey, we have comedians all the time. People are used to jokes here on the Chillamoy podcast before. I don't want to, I don't want to move on from the subject of cannabis and canines. 
Uh, but I do have an article that I mentioned before we got up here about cannabis and canines, but I wanted to make sure that you've, if you had any other points to cover. No, no. I love dogs, by the way. I'm not <laughs> anti-canine either. Yeah, well, um, you know, the police agencies spend thousands of dollars uh, and months of training to teach dogs how to sniff out and alert officers to the presence of cannabis, heroin, cocaine, and other drugs. And if cannabis use becomes legal, the dogs would likely either have to be retrained, which some handlers say is impossible or impractical, or retired. This is from the Panagraph. Um, but here's... Uh, Here's where it gets interesting. Um, Chad Larner, training director of the Canine Training Academy in Macon County, dismissed the idea of retraining uh, dogs, saying it would amount to, quote, extreme abuse to change their mindset, end quote. Canines are rewarded for successfully alerting to the presence of narcotics, and they train, they continue to train regularly with their handlers for a suggested minimum of 16 hours a month. In addition, there is no guarantee the dogs could be broken of their original training, which contradicts the main priority of canine handlers. But um, uh, where where is the bit here? Uh, I'm trying to find. At, at some point or another, they suggest that the dogs need to be put down um, in this article in the panograph. If uh, oh wait a minute, this is the this is the wrong article. Sorry, I'm I'm uh, fumbling this. Uh, Deny claims drug. Oh, here it is. Uh, Washington Post. Illinois police keep pot illegal or will kill the dog. Um, I want to make. Is sure... that what it says? That's what the headline says. <laughs> I want to be very clear about what was actually said. Um, let me pull up the reader version of this article. May... Hold here with me, folks. Um, the biggest da -da -da -da. later in the story. Uh, by the way, blah, blah, blah. I cannot find out uh, uh, let's just get back to this and i'll look for for the exact part where well, they say because i want to be clear about what was said but uh yeah there's no shortage of sky is falling alarmism coming from law enforcement community as it pertains to marijuana yeah um i found anyone can find this this is in the chicago tribune from May 8th, 2019, this is when the cannabis legalization bill uh, was getting, was when the peak discussion on it, the peak public attention to it, uh, police organizations were describing the problems, the horrors that will follow from cannabis legalization. And actually, I found the quote really quick, and right. I think it's going to segue I'll put into a pin what on this. I think it's going to actually segue perfectly into what you're saying. Um, that part of that quote was what I was saying. Uh, some handlers say it's impossible or impractical. They may need to be retired. Um, the, I just wanted to continue his quote really quick. And I think it segues to your point. He says, the biggest thing for law enforcement is you're going to have to replace all your dogs. So to me, it's a giant step forward for drug dealers. And it's a giant step backwards for law enforcement and the residents of this community. Uh, later in the story, a, tr a canine trainer suggests some or most of the dogs will need to be euthanized. So, folks, if you want to look up the article, read more. I want to be clear about it and encourage you to do your own research. The headline is, Illinois Police, Keep Pot Illegal or Will Kill the Dog. Anyways. Um, I mean, I don't mean to laugh at I would. It's just absurd. That's I would hate to, I would hate to see. At, right? Yeah, I would hate to see any dog 
euthanized. It's the worst thing in the world. That, so let's talk about credibility. Yeah. Because we were told from the organizations that represent law enforcement in this state. Yeah. We were told about how much of a horrible disaster would come with legalization. And the claims being made are totally incredible and absurd. So from the Chicago Tribune, um, so the primary concern police have over an anticipated increase in motorists driving, uh, sorry, the primary concern police have is over an anticipated increase in motorists driving while high. They cited studies in states that legalized marijuana showing significant increases in the number of traffic accidents in which participants tested positive for cannabis. Police also said that the proposed law does not provide sufficient safeguards to discourage impaired driving. So, the study. From the share... Before I get to the study, there's a... uh, You can find this, I guess, if you Google um, Illinois Sheriff's Association, Illinois Association of Chiefs of Police, um, and then Marijuana Concerns. This is... A release, a joint release from the Sheriff's Association of Illinois Sheriff's Association and Illinois Association of Chiefs of Police. Sheriffs and Chiefs raise safety concerns about marijuana legalization proposal. The um, whole release, the whole press release is like a page and a half. And one of the bullet points, the first bullet point, studies have indicated that fatal cannabis-related traffic accidents increase as much as 31 to 174% in states that have legalized recreational marijuana. They cite a 2018 study published in the Journal of Transportation and Health that determined that states that decriminalized or legalized marijuana had a dramatic increase in cannabis-related fatal crashes 31 to 174%. First of all, I'm not a scientist, but if you do a study of similarly situated states that do the same thing, make the same legal change, and you find in one state that it causes a 31% increase in fatal cannabis-related accidents, and in the ne- in another state it makes a 174% increase, that's a 143% disparity between those two states. Yeah. Probably not a very reliable study. Yeah, and I don't I don't want to sidetrack you at all, but just you know. Other states, it's kind of hard to use as, as a model because each state has been unique. And let's just use Colorado, um, you know, because that's a, been a state where they've said traffic accidents have been increased. I think there's even leaked audio footage of uh, Donald Trump parroting a similar line uh, from a Lev. If folks want to look it up, it's a Lev Parnas. He uh, is a person that worked with the Trump administration and he leaked some audio and in the middle of the clip they talk a little bit about cannabis because he was trying to convince trump on cannabis and um i lost where i was where i was going because i'm throwing too much out there what were we just talking about the the increase in fatal accidents or Uh, yeah so it's hard to use those thank you as uh, examples because colorado also not only did they legalize cannabis but they saw a huge increase of population so were there more crashes maybe because there were more people there right i'm just saying uh, let, let me let me <laughs> piggyback on that yeah so i don't think the sheriff's association or the illinois association of chiefs of police um anticipated that people would really follow up on this 
They use the terminology fatal cannabis-related traffic accidents. They cite that 2018 study from the Journal of Transport and Health. I've looked up that study. The study defines fatal crash, or the study study defines marijuana-involved fatal crash as a fatal crash involving a driver who tested positive for marijuana. So as everyone knows, marijuana stays in your system for weeks or maybe a month or more, depending on your metabolism and other factors, how fat you are, all that stuff. (laughs) So what this study establishes essentially is that there are fatal accidents. All every state has fatal accidents as long as cars have been around. Right. When a state legalizes marijuana or decriminalizes it, the the people who die in fatal accidents or who are involved in fatal accidents have an, there's an increased likelihood that they will test positive for marijuana. Yeah. Which means like, yeah, I'm pretty sure that when Diet Coke was unveiled, there was probably an increased instance of fatal crashes where people had Diet Coke in their system. (laughs) Yeah. It's because there's more Diet Coke. It's because more people probably have it in their system. It doesn't mean it's the cause. Right. It doesn't mean it's correlation the cause. does not equal causation class. And that's yeah. all they got. That's the only study that they said with, with this 31 to 104% increase in states that have uh, legalized recreational cannabis. It just means that there are more people who are enjoying cannabis and who have it detectable in their blood when they're involved in a fatal accident. There's no evidence that there's that people are more dangerous that the that the roads are more dangerous. Yeah. It just means that this marker in someone's blood is more present yeah. after cannabis is legalized because of course it is. Exactly. Because the idea is that people don't break laws. People don't commit crimes. But when it's made legal, there will be more usage of it. So it's going to be more present in more people's blood. Now, maybe there's somewhat of an increase. I don't know. I mean, yeah. I'm not a scientist. I don't know. I'm not a statistician. But to say that there's a dramatic increase in fatal cannabis-related cannabis-related traffic accidents, which implies that cannabis caused the traffic accident, right? That's bullshit. Yeah, especially this when is it like doesn't. a trick. Yeah, this is the n- number one bullet point from the two leading law enforcement trade organizations in the state. This is what they got. This is the number one thing they got. They brought to the table in 2019 in the lead up to legalization, and it's like a parlor trick. Mm-hmm. It's like a it's a it's misleading. So, anyway. Thanks for fleshing that out because I, especially defi- looking at how that study defines what that is, uh, I think it really shows you that that's just, it's like one of the clearest examples I've seen in recently of like a talking point. In yeah. other words, it carries no weight. Sounds really good. Yeah. Sounds really scary. Yeah. You know? Until you look at the study. And yeah. And see what <laughs> it think means. Think about what other factors might contribute right. to an end result such as that. And I'm not saying that, uh, look, I don't, again, I don't want to come across as saying that I, Evan Bruno, am capable of disproving the claim that marijuana legalization um, has no effect on fatal car accidents. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that is bullshit. To say that uh, marijuana-related accidents explode with legalization when the study you cite does not... They define marijuana-related accidents as simply the, there's the presence of THC in the person's blood or urine, I assume, 
that's not a marijuana related accident. It yeah. could be, yeah. but you can't say it is. Right. Come on. Yeah. Like yeah. this is important stuff. And I know they're a trade organization. Mm-hmm. So can we segue? Yeah, absolutely. Right. Why might the Illinois Sheriff's Association and the Illinois Association of Chiefs of Police care so much? Why might they care so much? The Cannabis Control Act provides that violations provides for forfeiture and it provides for fines. The um, and I'm not I'm not talking in blanket terms that every individual police officer just cares about money, but I feel pretty confident that the Illinois Sheriff's Association and the Illinois Association of Chiefs of Police part of their job part of their charter as a trade organization is to look after the trade is to look after the institution and if i was a chief of police or a sheriff i would really care about my budget and how much money is coming into my agency so when someone commits a violation of the illinois cannabis control act the old criminal act the fines go to law enforcement or a significant portion of them do. So, for example, pro. So this is a uh, the Cannabis Control Act, um, Section Ten Point Two, uh, titled "Proceeds of Fines for Drug-Related Offenses," uh, and it basically lays out how much money or where the money goes when there's a fine. And uh, so this is Section Ten Point Two B Three. If a state law enforcement agency in, combined, in combination with a law enforcement agency or agencies of a unit, local unit of government, conducted the seizure of the drugs, and there's a fine assessed on that seizure, the court shall equitably allocate 37.5% of the fines to or among the law enforcement agency or agencies. If they, so if you commit a violation of the Cannabis Control Act in a vehicle, mm-hmm. even if it's just possession, they can take the vehicle. So the law uses the term conveyance. You can be in your yacht. They can take your yacht if you're committing a violation of the Cannabis Control Act. The proceeds from that, um, the proceeds from that forfeiture, meaning the conveyance, that the actual um, yacht or car or motorcycle or whatever, uh, is basically awarded. I want to make sure I get this right. Um, and I printed off a lot of, this is my problem. I print off too much stuff and now I'm having trouble finding where everything is. But basically, uh, the law enforcement agency gets a significant cut of that. So if they, if they seize someone's Rolls Royce because they've got an unlawful amount of cannabis in their possession, Mm -hmm. they sell that at a sheriff's sale and they get the money. (laughs) Um, and then there's a street value fine. Right. The street value fine is basically you take, say, you got a pound of cannabis. You divide that into however many grams that is. And then you say, how much would a gram of cannabis yield? And then you multiply it by the number of grams. And then you assess that fine. And the proceeds of that fine also go to the law enforcement agency. I, I disagree with with the way we do this. I yeah. know it's important for the, for law enforcement agencies to be funded, but we have a system that creates an incentive for law enforcement agencies 
to oppose any reform because it really hurts their bottom line. These are not insignificant yeah. cuts to their bottom line. These yeah. are significant deprivations of money for their for their operations that are being cut whenever we roll back drug laws. So when they cite stuff like uh, you know the increase in fatal accidents or what have you, they're they are a trade organization and they are looking out for their own. I'm not, I really don't want anyone to think that I'm casting aspersions on any one specific police officer or any one specific chief of police or sheriff or spokesperson. But when we look at these as trade organizations, yeah, their job appropriately so is to look out for the bottom line of their constituents. That's why you get stuff like in the same, um, in the same Chicago Tribune article, uh, the next paragraph where I had read the thing about, you know, where they cite the increased traffic accidents. Um, this is, this is a uh, Worcester police chief, Stephen Stelter. I don't know, my, my print off got a little cut off, but it says his other big concern was a provision to let people grow up to five plants at home. That would make it difficult for police to differentiate, differentiate between a legal grow for personal use <laughs> and a legal cartel growing for the black market, leading to more violent crime. That's why they say this crazy stuff. Yeah. That, that's the interest. If you're wondering why does the chief of police want to say that legalization is going to lead to cartels coming into the neighborhoods, it's that kind of thing. And that press release that I had said is the, quote, home grow loophole, end quote, or home grow is a loophole that invites foreign cartels, drug traffickers, and organized crime to move into neighborhoods and has proven to be a disaster in other states. Instead of it just being like about like, sorry, I, I just think that simply cannabis cultivation shouldn't be a crime, but it's like, right. I love that it's got to be a loophole for cartels a to loophole. come in and loophole cause is, violence. Yeah. If yeah. you're ever, if you ever hear the word loophole used, that usually just means a law I disagree with. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's this whole loophole that allows, um, you know, people to claim self-defense in a murder case. No, it's not a loophole. That's appropriate. Yeah. That's just a law. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's not a loophole. I, every law that people disagree with is a loophole. Um, and and the, to claim that somehow allowing people to, or, or that cartels will set up grow operations in neighborhoods now that it's legal, if you can believe that, like if you can really believe that, uh, there's no hope for you. Yeah. There's no, th that's just something that was said, not subject to any logical testing. And, and let's be honest. I don't mean to cut, cut I'm you sorry, off. I'm sorry. I'm doing a lot of talking. That's why that's why I printed off all these things. And dude, I'm, you're, you're I'm, fine. I brought you on here to talk. Uh, <laughs> you know, you're, you're good. Uh, I just wanted to say that their argument for loophole, the, the, to call it a loophole and to say that the cartel is going to move it. Why do they have that incentive? Is it because we're s surrounded by states that are have prohibited the use of cannabis? Like, in other words, once again, the and I, I don't mean to make this bigger than our state because we've had a focused conversation on Illinois and the problems with our law, but this is just another example where, uh, you know, le uh, prohibition causes more problems than it solves it it, it it causes unregulated markets to pop up um and and thrive um 
in other words, it's usually more harmful than legalizing. You know what I mean? Right. And so I don't know. I just, I felt like it, I felt like now that I said it, it was a, a bit of a weak point, but again, like, you know, the, the, the whole, if there was ever an incentive for the cartel to do that, it's because we're surrounded by states that are dry, frankly. Right. You know what I mean? So it's like, if that wasn't the case, there would be no incentive to, there would be no loophole. Yeah. Everybody could grow cannabis and it would be plentiful and it would, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, <laughs> the, the claim is we don't want legalization. Um, we need prohibition so we can put the cartels out of business. That's the opposite of how the world works. That I was going to say, yeah, the the uh, prohibition puts that gives the cartel the business. They are by definition operating in a state of prohibition, yes. or else they're not a cartel, right? And I don't know, I I won't get into any maybe subtle um, ethnocentric implication to the use of the word cartel as opposed to just organized crime. They use. Yeah. Read that how you will, but it's obviously they try to find the scariest words they can and they throw them in there. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. The The word selection is pretty uh, yeah. interesting. Why not just say organized crime or... Yeah. yeah. And I guess just to put a finer point on what I was trying to say, the illegalization of drugs uh, or the criminalization of drugs, however you want to phrase it, has corrupting influence on cops and society. We're trained to associate uh, drugs with bad and non-drugs with good. And it's kind of funny because we do make distinctions, drugs and alcohol, yeah. as if it doesn't fall under that umbrella. Right. I talked to somebody the other day, and they were like, I did get them to admit that coffee was a drug, and it's one of the like best examples of how plant medicine is involved in our daily lives. I mean, most people use coffee as a, a you know, a, as yeah. a means to get up and get through the day and it's interesting that it's not a drug like you know what i mean they, they, they we've kind of written it off as not a drug even though when you look up the definition of a drug it's i'm totally going off the top of my head but it's something to the effect of a compound or substance that has a physiological effect on you coffee ticks that box well, um, yeah, I think anything would tick that Most box. anything actually ticks that box when you really start to think about it. I don't know what the dictionary definition of physiological is, but I would imagine it's pretty damn broad. Yeah. I yeah, mean, if I ate a vague. T-bone steak right now, I feel like it would have a physiological effect on me. Yeah, cause exactly. Me, cause some endorphins <laughs> to start running. Don't let anyone find out about that. They'll make it illegal. Yeah. You know, so much of this, I think, just, I don't know when... I was not alive yet when this kind of thing came up, but there's a kind of a notion that if something gets you high, high being defined as feeling some mental state of pleasure, euphoria, what I'm making up yeah. these terms, but yeah, yeah. if something gives you that, it must be addressed by the government and criminalized in some way. So if you were to have someone who developed some compound in their garage that they just totally made up. It's never existed before, nothing related to it. It's ever existed before. And when you consumed it, you, you know, if you, you would just start to feel immense pleasure and you would just be euphoric and it would last for, you know, an hour and you would just feel insane pleasure and it would be like the best thing ever. What do you think would happen when word got out that someone is now making the substance in their garage? 
Yeah, how do we control it? Would there be any <laughs> investigation into its safety? And say they do have an investigation into its safety, they being whatever, the powers that be, and they find out that they can't really identify any real safety concerns, they're still going to try to criminalize it. They're yeah. still going to prohibit it because yeah. it's just uh, it's just the way kind of um, the momentum in our society has, has been moving for the past, I don't know, however many decades. Yeah. It's just this notion of, oh, shit, someone's getting high. The, the getting high is what must be stopped. Yeah. It's like why, you know, um, magic mushrooms or LSD. Uh, I don't think there's ever been a study done on the benefits of those substances that's come away saying there's no benefits. I think yeah. there's probably, uh, there's always some benefits. Right. Um, there's got to be something that gives you something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am sure that there's been some studies that have identified, you know, motor impairment, maybe like lack of judgment and stuff, but there's never any feeling like we have to do a balancing here. Yeah. It's just like, we don't care what the balance is. If there's any element of it that gets you high, we got to put the kibosh on that. We can't have that. Yeah. And I just think it's so interesting. This is a point we made in the first episode in a, in a nation where we pride ourselves on civil liberties and freedom Right. We want to regulate people's uh, consciousness. Right. And if you think about it, like you just said, um, it's it's really hard to set this up, this hypothetical scenario up. But if we didn't have drugs, which it's hard to imagine a world where we didn't have drugs because they are so involved in our life. And mm-hmm. what is a drug, right? We just kind of had that conversation. Um. The idea, I think, would be so intriguing that with an action, you could change your consciousness. I mean, think about it. You can't control the weather. You can't... I mean, there's some things that are we've been able to put in our control, like we're sitting in a climate-controlled environment right now. Um, but like when it comes down to like a civil liberty, my body, my choice, that, yeah. in that... like. How it's, are we? Yeah. Well, the one of my favorite terms. I didn't make this up. Of course, I didn't make this up. I'm not clever enough. But the term psychonaut. Yeah. Like astronaut, mm-hmm. except psychonaut. The explorations being done inside. Yeah. That's a really beautiful word to me, and I think if more people would hear that word and kind of absorb it and think about what it means, they'd have a lot better understanding of why people use drugs. Absolutely. I'm not, you know, I don't think I've never done heroin. If someone were to, I don't know what the exploration is there. There's a lot of drugs where I don't think there's much like introspection, but there are certain drugs, particularly psychedelics, I think where it's, it gives you, it gives you a key to unlock doors inside your own mind Mm -hmm. that you can't do, you can't get in another way. And it's, it's more of, you know, we live in a world where, and this is, I'm not just talking about like our civilization. I'm talking about humans in general. Yeah. Probably the same thing goes for deers and octopus and stuff where we have a big brain with a lot of compartments in it, but to survive, we have these natural filters and these buffers that kind of dumb everything down because we don't, when we're just trying to like find berries and kill, you know, mastodons and stay warm, it doesn't benefit us to really sit there and think about the stars and the galaxy right. and the connections and the space-time continuum and relativity. We don't need to think about all that. Right. 
what the psychedelics do and what marijuana does to an extent is it it doesn't put something in your head that's not there it just removes barriers to access parts of your brain that yes. are there you just can't get there without it remove it pulls down those walls it pulls down those curtains so you you'd see things that are there things in front of you things around you things in the universe that are always there you just normally for evolutionary purposes can't detect them can't really acknowledge them because you have these natural um buffers yeah. kind of like blinders where if you're like if you're trying to find berries and kill a saber-toothed tiger that's about to attack your family you don't want to be on mushrooms <laughs> right, you know right. like that's gonna be a problem like right. you're, you're gonna have trouble but we are a civilized society now and we really treasure art and we treasure beauty and we treasure um, introspection and religion. Mm -hmm. And we need to update our views on these kind of things to where um, we, we have this beautiful opportunity that not even a few hundred years ago people had this because they were scraping by. Yeah. But we now are in this lap of luxury where we are not worried about dying while we're sitting in our living room listening mm -hmm. to music. We're not worried about someone killing us. Yeah. If we're sitting around camping, looking up at the stars, there's not really a threat of a saber-toothed tiger is going to come kill us. Right. So we have this wonderful opportunity now to sit around and get high and unlock these parts of our brain and look up at the stars and think about big things. And the fact that the government has said, we're going to put you in prison for doing that yeah is really i mean it's a great shame of our society that we let that happen and it's almost i'm the ship has sailed on me being like a law professor or anything but if if there were to be any area of the law that i would love to support see become developed in my lifetime it would be this notion of freedom of thought in one's own mind having almost a first amendment component to it yeah freedom not just to read certain books or to print certain pamphlets or to worship certain gods or to go to certain churches freedom to explore thoughts inside your own head that the government is now saying we will not let you have access to those parts of your own mind we don't care if you're being dangerous to others right we just won't let you access them Right. So like something like possession of magic mushrooms will get you in prison now, still, mm -hmm. in most every state. You can go to prison for that, or LSD. And it's something that is prohibiting, you know, citizens in this free society from having certain thoughts, having certain religious experiences, and I'm going to use the R word to describe it. And it's something that, God, I really hope that you know, by the time I'm an old man, our society's caught up with this idea that it's important to mm -hmm. let people, uh, just as important it is to let people go to a church and, you know, speak in tongues and pray and all that and use a rosary, just as important it is for them to have those experiences, it's equally justified that someone be able to explore those, com those areas of their mind that are there that can be unlocked. We know how to do it. We know, how, we know it can be done safely. But the government is still treating it not just as something that they don't condone, but something that they actively want to root out, prohibit everyone from doing, and put you in prison if you do it. 
I'm off my soapbox on that. No, hey, it's it's uh, it's perfect because I had just uh, pulled something up where it was basically talking exactly of, of what you were talking about. I mean, with this special group of molecules that can give us access to other modes of consciousness that in many cases seem to offer us specific benefits, whether that be therapeutic, sp- spiritual, or creative. Uh, they're certainly not the only door to these other forms of consciousness, but they seem one of the easier knobs to take hold of in turn. And mm-hmm. I like that idea there. That's good. I like, like when I used the snap earlier, it's like a button, it's a knob. And that's... The, I, the term psychedelic was coined in 1956. It's drawn from Greek. It simply means mind manifesting. Mm. I like that. It's, I like that too because it implies that, you're, that it's already there. It's just showing itself. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And um, I think there's this misconception on people who've never experienced any of this. They think um, when you take a drug, it's putting things in your head. The drug itself is trans- transporting thoughts into your head. And the, the thoughts that you're having, the sensations you're experiencing are coming from the drug. My take on it, and I think this is supported by the science. I could be wrong. I don't know. I don't want to start talking out of my ass. But the way I would interpret it is those thoughts, and I'm repeating myself, but those thoughts are there. Those sensations are there. This is just allowing you to experience them. Right. And it'd be like, you know, there's a lot of things. I'm not going to get into the. There's a whole. There's a whole separate issue of big pharma and. You know, there's a lot of drugs, intense mind-altering drugs that you can buy from Pfizer or Merck yeah. with a prescription. Yeah. Um, but there's these other drugs that they don't sell at, you know, CVS. Yeah. That do mind-altering things probably a lot more safely than Ambien or Vicodin or OxyContin. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just have just have gone along with this as a society through our representatives in Congress and in state legislatures. We've just all kind of said, yeah, we're okay with OxyContin being legal. We're okay with Ambien. We're okay with Ritalin. We're okay with Xanax or Prozac. Yeah. But these other ones we're not okay with. And I think that's just a carryover from, um, you know, there's like magic mushrooms no one's selling those yeah no or no one's making those right and so we gotta we gotta put the kibosh on that and it's all momentum it's just momentum it's you know you get the dare program when you're in elementary school um then by the time you become an adult you're worried that you're going to get arrested and go to jail and everyone just gets so ingrained hammered into your head day after day year after year that these are bad amoral evil things yeah and you're a junkie loser if you want to ever experiment with them yeah it's a shame it is i mean it makes me sad because i only i mean i don't really believe in an afterlife i think i got one shot on this earth um i want to i want to travel around the world and i want to travel around my mind as much as i can explore all these things and the fact that the government is like (laughs) saying i can't makes me feel like I imagine how, you know, the pilgrims felt when they said, you can't worship that God. You can't have those thoughts, even though it's all inside their head. They're not bothering anyone else. Right. It's just like, we're the thought police and we're not going to let you do it. Yeah. Well said, man. Land of the free. Land of the free. Yeah. And that's, it's the interesting, uh, it's the same point we made last time, but people are 
throwing huge fits about masks, which I fucking, I don't enjoy wearing a mask either. Um, but, but it's just like, if we could devote that same energy to some of these, uh, things that fundamentally actually affect, uh, people in like a really negative way, like a mask is a inconvenience. Like, let's be real. It's fucking sucks. It's fucking annoying. Yeah. Everyone's cannot, over them. We're over them. Everyone's even the, over even them. the people that advocate for them, I think are over them. Right. Like nobody likes wearing masks. Okay. Let's, but yeah, I just, uh, um, I, I lost where I was going there, honestly. No, but uh, the, if, if the people who say that the government oh, doesn't yeah. have this authority to tell us to do X, Y, Z, right? That's where are I those people going, out yeah. in front of the state legislature saying, "Don't fucking tell me I can't eat mushrooms"? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not bothering you. I mean, there was literally that one dude in Illinois. He was the person that got the most uh, headlines when J.B. Pritzker made a mandate, and he like stood out in front of the state capitol and was like, "We're not gonna." abide by this mandate and blah 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 and it's like when is anybody gonna stand up like that for a law that actually does affect people's lives like in a in a a meaningful way like people have people's lives have been ruined over these policies yeah if you don't wear a mask you're not going to prison (laughs) yeah even though you might just be asked to leave (laughs) yeah even though according to the government's reasoning for making you wear a mask you're doing more harm than you would do if you had magic mushrooms. Like you're, <laughs> yeah. you might kill an old lady. Yeah. No one's right. saying that's going to happen with mushrooms. Right. Um, and, and you know, one of the lines I hear a lot is, uh, I would wear a mask. I just don't like the government telling me I have to. Exactly. I would yeah. get a vaccine, but once the government tells me I have to, no <laughs> dice. Yeah. So where's that energy? Mm-hmm. Come on, bring it. I just wish people would be consistent in which in the ways they get outraged about infringements on their rights so but anyways i felt like i got you sidetracked did you have any other uh uh, points like you got i think i've gotten through all my papers okay cool well i appreciate that though yeah no for sure i was gonna say i didn't want to break out the cannabis before in case you had any other you know points you wanted to make sure i'm done reading i think we're past i think we're to that point cool sounds good well let's let's break it out we've got uh some some cannabis rolled up we've got some uh the cannabis cigars i also need, I need to use the restroom yeah i do too so let's uh let's we'll come back and we'll be loosey-goosey with some cannabis anyways folks we're about to uh spark up these i don't know if i, I think i said it already but they're the king palm king rolls i figured it's friday um and uh, uh, yeah, so let me let me test something out here real quick. I want to see how this feature works on my recorder. Well, I don't think I'm gonna. I don't think I'm gonna smoke this whole thing. Uh, you want to just you want to just pass the classic and keep that for another time? Do you want to? I don't care. I would I'm be down. Da- yeah, the, do, I, ha, to, take I that like, as a, t- a parting gift from the Chillinois podcast. Oh, I much appreciate it. You didn't have to do that. That's very generous of you. I will enjoy that some other time. I'm not a so. I, I'm not a high-volume smoker. Gotcha. I mean, I kind of am, but yeah, we're good. Not a face, a whole two-gram uh, uh, king palm to the face and then go to the rest of your day type of guys. That's what you're saying. <laughs> no, I can. You can? Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, I do. Uh, yeah, I can. I just, it's kind of like a treat for me. It's like I don't do shots very often, but it's always a nice treat. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Well, it's always good to spark up. Thank you for uh, being willing to sit down with me today. I think it's at this point where we can maybe recover some old ground. Yeah. 
I'm off the mic right now, but uh, one of the things one of the things we said on the last show, you know, is is pointing out the fact that, and we touched on it a little bit in this show, but I think it's important to make it abundantly clear for folks that didn't listen to the last show and maybe didn't gain this understanding. We, when we say we legalized cannabis, I the way I've kind of quantified or clarified that statement is we have made the purchase and possession of limited amounts of cannabis legal. So you can purchase a limited amount. You can possess that limited amount. We got to be careful though. Like we talked about, you know, and, and where you've got it and all that stuff. Um, but I guess what we mean by that, it's like, it's pretty crazy that, and this is a standard that's followed in every state. This is another thing that people uh, emailed us about. It's like, the 30 gram possession limit is not anything that's new, right? Um, 30 grams is kind of a standard for, uh, for possession limits across the, uh, across the state. My question has been, does that make it right? Just because we're following in the precedents and the footsteps of other states, does that mean that they're right? And I, I mean, of course my argument is no. And I wanted to, the reason, and I use this exact same thing, it's like we're not regulating how much beer you can have at home. Right. You know what I mean? So, so how's it smoking? It's very nice. These uh, King Palms are really nice. Yeah. Yeah, I like them. It's not as harsh as a cigar. Yeah, like a blunt wrap. <coughs> yeah, those things, those blunt wraps can burn a little hot and... It's also like <clears throat> I don't want to have like raspberry syrup <coughs> in my wrapper. Yeah. This came from I don't know, this came from a palm tree in Indonesia or something. Uh yeah, let, I wasn't saying it on air. It was the uh these leaves are from the flowering tree of the Korja borage. I don't know if I'm saying either of those words correctly. Family grown on our fa- uh farms across parts of Southeast Asia. Natural for this product means these leaves were not grown with toxic fertilizers and were not treated with harmful or artificial flavors. Um, so basically it's a leaf off of a tree. Um, it's also a combination of uh, the filter is made out of corn husk. Kind of an interesting um, mechanism for cooling. That's I guess, good. The, it's the, nice and fancy. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> on the topic of possession limits, we talked about this last time, and I hadn't really, I guess I hadn't really had time to think about it in more detail, but the whole idea of a possession limit, hang on a second. Yeah, no, it's all good. You got to hit it. People understand. The whole idea of a possession limit makes sense when the government's interest is in absolute scarcity of cannabis. When you're in a total prohibition state, and when I say state, I don't mean like one of the 50 states. I mean like a state of total prohibition. The government doesn't want anyone to have any amount of cannabis. So if someone has a ton of cannabis, excuse me, if someone has a ton of cannabis, they can give some cannabis to a lot of different people. Sure. But the government's interested in having no one have any amount. Absolute scarcity. Once you go into a 
legalization framework of a society where the government says everyone can have some cannabis. The guy who has a ton of cannabis can't do much with it. He can give everyone some, a little bit more cannabis, but everyone already can have some cannabis. So if a guy has a ton, he's not going to affect the status quo. If he dis- no matter how he dispenses it, no matter how he gets rid of that ton of cannabis, every, the, we're still going to be left with everyone can still have some cannabis. And in Illinois, you, you can, I think even the biggest pothead, even the most voracious cannabis consumer is still going to have trouble smoking enough weed to reach their limit of what they can have. So we have, you're allowed to have a a bunch like for personal use, Illinois has totally, the ship has totally sailed of like meaningfully limiting how often or how much adults can smoke, can use cannabis in Illinois. If adults want to use cannabis in Illinois, they can basically just, do it all the time. Yeah. Because 30 grams is a lot. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's all relative, but 30 grams, you know, you can get, everyone can have some cannabis at all times. So to treat a guy who has maybe, so in say, say I say you get caught with a pound of cannabis in your car, you are going to be in deep shit. Yeah. You're going to be treated still today, even under the legal system, like you've really committed a serious crime. When really, compared to before legalization, and, and it is the same crime, compared to before legalization, your effect on the world, the damage you can do with that pound of cannabis is de minimis, negligible. There's not, no matter how you spread it out. Now, if you sell it to kids, yeah. You should get in trouble for that. There yeah. should be a law that says you can't sell it to kids. Yeah. I'm sure there is. There is. Yeah. And I'm sure there is. Yes, there is. You can't sell it to kids. If it's adultered, if you put... Sounds like the beginning of a Lil Wayne song. You know what I'm talking about? If it's adultered? Oh, that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when he smoked in front of the microphone. Anyway. Yeah, there's probably a lot of songs that started like that. <laughs> if you sell weed that has PCP in it, or you've laced it with something, or you've grown it unsafely, or you've sprayed it with gasoline. If you sell or want to give to anyone else something, some dangerous weed. Yeah. Or if you give it to kids, those things are, should be independent crimes. But now assuming you have a pound of weed and assuming you're going to illegally sell it to a bunch of adults, Mm -hmm. you're not leaving a mark. There's no, there's not even a bruise on society. Yeah. Um, no one's life is changed by that. You haven't brought it somewhere where it couldn't already be. So why does the state not want you to be able to do it? Now there's the safety thing. We want to make sure it's safe, which is why I said, if you sell adulterated stuff, or you sell it to kids, you should get in trouble for that. Yeah. We want to make sure it's safe and we want to tax it. We want the revenue from it. Like right. it's called the cannabis regulation and tax, tax act. act. It says in its findings, <laughs> we need money. That's why we're going to legalize it so we can get money from it. Yeah. The state of Illinois should just say, if you have five pounds of weed and you aren't a dispensary, you're not allowed to have five pounds of weed and it's not something like you've grown or whatever. The trouble you're getting in now is you now have a business offense. You should be assessed a business fine. That's how it should be. But instead, what we do 
to the person who has a bunch of weed is like, if you have five pounds of weed or 16 pounds of weed, whatever in most counties in Illinois, you are very lucky if you don't go to the state penitentiary for a number of years. Yeah. So the default is you go to the state penitentiary with people who commit armed robberies, people who have killed other people, people who, you know, run guns, rapists. You're going there with them because you've committed a business offense and you've deprived us of our tax revenue. Yeah. Can't the state get that money some other way? And I want to be clear because this is what this is what you mean. You said it. I think this is what you mean. I want to just like make sure I paint the picture, though, because you mentioned this in the last show, uh, the last uh, show I had you on. Um, sorry, I think my mic for some reason, I must have touched my mic levels. Um, you know, that amount of cannabis is being trafficked almost. I don't want to say every day but occasionally in the state of Illinois by the licensed operators. And so when you call it a business offense, I get, I get what you mean by that, but I wanted to make sure that other people get it because it's like, it's not like their delivery drivers are limited to only deliver 30 grams at a time. No, they're packing up the fucking truck and they're fucking doing stops and unloading at dispensaries all over the state, you know? So it's interesting that possession limits only apply to citizens, but not, licensed operators you know what i mean yeah give me a second you're all good (laughs) all right i lost my train of thought what were you saying so basically like you know um we were talking about possession limits and you were making a lot of really good points and you called it a business offense you were saying yeah why are you why are you being charged criminally when it's just a business offense and i was saying i was trying to make sure that people understood that what you mean by that is that businesses traffic large amounts of cannabis regularly in the state of illinois and they're allowed to by fact of license meanwhile a regular everyday citizen we can't fucking have more than 30 grams right we can't have more than 30 grams and and i think that's the the more important question is can't have more than 30 grams but what if we do right what if we break the rules right because we have this there's a uh like emotion that kind of pervades every criminal case where the person has clearly violated the law mm-hmm. the moment you cross that line you clearly violate the law the sympathy kind of just drains out of the room yeah sometimes and it's like no one has any sympathy for you you're an idiot like get out of here that's not the right way to treat people right you need to look at it as what relative harm are you doing if you're harming society by doing something we have mechanisms to prohibit you from doing that yeah but we now have some harm identified in illinois the har- I'm talking I'm the on the state right now. Yeah. There's a harm of someone having a bunch of weed, mm-hmm. wanting to give it to other people and not being one of our people we let do it. Yeah. You know, it's it's just it's it's such a thin thread between you are a criminal who needs to go to prison. Yeah. And you're just not licensed. Yeah. Or, or you you are licensed and therefore you can do something with minimal safeguards like it's not like we have a tsa for weed in every dispensary like before they take it from their vans and bring it into their store 
like federal agents are like inspecting it and testing it. That's not yeah. how it happens. Yeah. It's just like, we just trust them. We just mm-hmm. say like, you're good. Yeah. You, uh, you know, we're, you got popped for a minor cannabis offense 20 years ago. We're going to be socially equitable and we're going to give you a license. Yeah. You can just like grow weed, like only, you know, a handful, only like a few dozen, you know, thousand square feet or whatever it is. Right. Um, and uh, just like, we're going to like come look around. I don't know. Does that happen? Do they come and look around? Yeah. Apparently they uh, they do have an officer that will come and look around. And then also the testing facilities, I guess, take random samples. Uh, but Yeah. Yeah. So which testing facility? Like, how does that work? Uh, so I should look that up. Uh, so I should clarify too. It's not like they go through the crop and grab a sample. Uh, but you do, uh, that is a good question. You do pick your testing facility from what I understand. Is it a private company? It's uh third, they're called third party testing labs. They're supposed to be independent. Uh, but yeah, I, I say that. And then I say out of the other corner of my mouth, that people are choosing the labs. So I'm not exactly sure how, the lab thing works, but I do have some info that I could pull up on like kind of how samples are taken and tested. Um, and we have, we actually do have a contact that's, that is a lab in the state of Illinois. So like, I'd be uh, interested to know, yeah, like I don't, I'm not in the industry. Um, I don't know what the government is doing to track, uh, like the safety of, of, the cannabis if it's just testing it for what it contains and like what its percentage is how high does it get you get you but like i guess the not that i have like a an agenda item to talk about but i keep coming back to the fact that uh the relative harm yeah. You can do from being licensed and not licensed compared to the relative consequences. It's just like the only thing that separates the two is the selection from the state of who it is. Yeah. Yeah. That's the only thing. It's who Definitely. is, who is the guy? Who yeah. is the, who, and there's these limited, it's just so, if the other guy just like had to have, uh, so say there's two people who want to do this. Yeah. Someone gives a license to you. Um, you're, and the other person doesn't get the license, but they do it anyway, mm-hmm. even though they had all the qualifications, the application, all that, the crime of doing that is not like we're going to get an injunction against you and we're going to have a judge tell you to stop doing it. Yeah. It's like, we're now going to put you away for the, like years of your life yeah. in a prison, mm-hmm. in a prison. Yeah. That's like medieval. Yeah, that's it, crazy. And it's just because we didn't tell you you could do it. Yeah, we didn't, we didn't give, give you the permission. Piece of paper. Yeah, you've done it. If you were to, if we were to have said you you could do it, and you're doing it exactly as we would have made you do it. Yeah, you're not doing anything inconsistent with what we would have had you do if we had chosen you. Yeah, it's not like you're you have like child labor. You know, it's right. It's just like you're you're just doing the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. It'd be like if. If someone said, uh, you, um, the, the license to like 
mow lawns or something. Yeah. And it well, was just like, we have, we're going to pick one person to mow the lawns in the, in the neighborhood. Yeah. Just one person. Yeah. And it was like, I want to mow the lawn too. I'm, I want to pull myself up from my bootstraps mm-hmm. and I want to start a business. I want to mow lawns too. Yeah. No, mowing lawns are dangerous. Mm. <laughs> that blade spins really, really fast. Yeah. It will cut off your fingers if you touch it. Yeah. I know. I've had tip my finger cut off in a lawnmower. <laughs> Damn. They're very dangerous. Yeah. But every person in the United States, no, how, no matter how down on your luck you are, if you are able to, you can grab a lawnmower, you can drive it around the neighborhood into people's yards where there are children present. Yeah. You can just do, you can chop up everything you want. You can cut down, you know, bushes. It's very dangerous. Yeah. But if you're growing weed in a greenhouse in your backyard that's locked, you know, it's, you're going to prison. Yeah. So it's just interesting. Uh, so I pulled up, uh, uh, this is from uh, two years ago. We did an AMA, which is an Ask Me Anything, with uh, a person that worked, uh, claimed to represent uh, the testing lab, um, a testing lab. And so the standards we use are, uh, oh, wait, they worked for a lab for a cannabis company, but they mention how the testing samples are gathered. So the standards we use are among the highest in the nation, although I think California now is more stringent on certain things like residual solvents. One thing I think Illinois does that most other states do is that we don't send in our samples ourselves. A rep from the testing lab comes in, takes the sample, which ensures the sample is representative and not doctored. As far, oh, they go on to a different topic there. But um, yeah, and I want to set you up sometime with a testing lab. They're really cool people, and we can, you know, you can talk about... uh, yeah, talk about how that process works because it's super interesting. And one of the things that most people don't know is that cannabis is uh, so cannabis in a lot of states is remediated in order to uh, pass testing. Do you even know what that means? No. <laughs> so it doesn't sound good though, right? No. In order to pass testing, what do you what do you mean you're doing something in order to pass testing? You should just be passing the test because you know how to grow good weed, right? Um, so there's a few different methods of remediation. Um, you know, we've even had a company, uh, a representative from a company that does ozone remediation, which is like a big drum. You dump like, I don't know, she showed us this one where you could dump like 50 pounds of weed in it and like it blows this ox purified oxygen through it and it ensures that the product will not fail mold or yeast or uh other tests uh, other tests i say that because they basically ensure that you will pass qa testing so what's going on exactly I'm not sure but you're left with a product that um is is able to you know, pass tests. Not only that, actually in the state of Illinois, if a product fails a test, they are allowed to, uh, I believe it's specifically concentrate. Um, you can resubmit, uh, you know, and, uh, yeah, I, I need to look that up as well. Folks, we've posted it on our Instagram. I may not be able to find that one, uh, as immediately as I'd like to, but, um, I can post about it again. There's basically a rule that basically says that, yeah, you can resubmit a sample on a 
you know, something that's failed so you can remediate it and then resubmit it. I don't think most people would even imagine. Dude, I'll be honest. I was so high trying to follow (laughs) that. That's some good, that's some good weed. (laughs) Yeah. Here, here's the point. You buy a product, you imagine that product got to you just because they made it and they fucking put it on the shelf. Right. What I'm saying is some of these products were, they were like, Hey, you can't put that on the shelf. And they were like, but take it back. We'll test it again. Just do something to it. Mm, mm. And then we test it again. Oh, it's good. Okay, yeah. Put it on the shelf. Did it? Think yeah. about that. That's a little fucked up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? So anyways, um, yeah, good stuff here. Here you go. It, yeah, it went out. But uh, um, I had a, a few questions for you to, to wrap up because uh, we've been sitting down for quite a while. Um, this, fir- this first one is I, you know, we're, we're high right now and, uh, um, I don't want to like, you know, I feel like almost bad for pop quizzing you right now, but you, we brought up DUI stuff with Illinois earlier. Um, Indiana, I saw an article earlier this week is deploying some new technology, um, that, uh, the key of it is folks, uh, the SOTOXA test which is what they're deploying, can be refused by drivers that have been pulled over. I want to say that right out in front of the open. If you're going through Indiana and they try to run a SOTOXA test, from from them they say that it can be refused, although they will probably try to convince you differently. Mm-hmm. Um, my, yeah. yeah, my question for you, I don't want to ask ah. you about Indiana law, but um, what is, what's the laws like with uh, Illinois and DUI stuff? Like I know that okay. – I, I know that, That's a really good question. Like a breathalyzer, I can't deny that, right? Ooh, ooh, that's a that's a loaded question. So here's the rules. Okay. <laughs> um, we don't have those things that Indiana has. What are the what are they called? The so toxa test. So toxa test. Yeah. I don't even know how it I, works. I don't know. I, it would be really weird to get breathalyzed for cannabis yeah like I, I didn't know that was a thing they're trying to make a thc breathalyzer the company's uh it's a different company but they're not they've not gotten it to work i would want to hear so what will come with this test is basically a script and i don't mean that in a bad way but a script for the people who run the test to testify in court yeah i'm sure that uh I'd be really curious to know how it works. I'm just yeah. kind of imagining how, how there would be. T- so where the um, rubber would meet the road, so to speak, with a breath test or a sweat test or whatever this test purports to be. I'm dubious. But the selling point of this test, if you were to sell it to police agencies to use it, say you should order, you know, 30 of these Sotoxid test kits. Mm-hmm. We'll show you how to use them. That would come with the promise that if you go to court over one of these, you'll be able to defend it. Cops. Or I use the word cops. I use the word cops affectionately. I just want to say that. I, yeah. I, I've heard, learned that that's a word that you can't say. To it, Not that you can't say it, but it's... Some people take cops as an offensive term. Understood. You know. Yeah. I get it. Anyway, the so political climate, just yeah. just as a disclosure, if I use that term, I don't mean it in a negative way. Understood. 
I like the term. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I watched cops when I was a kid. Yeah. Well, and I, yeah. But I, I, anyway, yeah. anyway, I'm going off on tangents. So the, the company that makes this Sotoxa test that has the test saliva, by the way, test saliva. Okay. Yep. Interesting. That, that might actually be good if it, or more accurate if it can tell if you've recently ingested it. Although I'm really skeptical of, I'm skeptical too. I don't think that it, I, I do not think that it works. It apparently tests saliva for six kind of drugs, cocaine, methamphetamine, opiates, cannabis, amphetamine, and benzodiazepines. Uh, results are available within five minutes. But again, it does say the Sotoxa test can be refused by drivers that have been pulled over, and the results cannot be used as evidence in court to determine if the driver was impaired. Never take that test. Yeah. So marijuana is... Marijuana in blood will get you charged with a DUI, depending on circumstances, still, yeah. these days. Just the in mere the, presence. Illinois. The, right, in Illinois, the mere presence. Yeah. And it's the, five nanograms? Is that the... Five know? nanograms per milliliter of whole blood, I believe. God, I'm going to... No, that really sounds right. if I butcher it. No, that sounds I right. know it's five nanograms. Um, per milliliter, yeah. With... The law says that the... It says... I'm going to paraphrase. If the driver's blood within two hours of driving contains 5.9 or 5 nanograms per milliliter of whole blood or more, there's impairment. Presumption of impairment, you're, it's, a, it's a per se DUI. Yeah. The t- within two hours of driving thing is really screwy because it presumes that within two hours of someone operating the vehicle their blood has been extracted from their body so that's a in the real world that's a significant timeline like it's easy to blow off that blow past that timeline if you get pulled over if you're in champaign county and you get pulled over like in around homer you're you're like probably an hour door to door away from carl hospital if you're a cop if you're a police officer transporting a detainee and there's trouble if the interpretation is that you need to have taken the blood out of the person within two hours of them being in a car, you know? So the state's attorney's offices will uh, charge a DUI based on just the presence of it. Because that's the only way they can do it. Um, it's a weird law. It's it's screwy, and so there's like, I think there are state's attorneys' offices who would try to proceed under just saying like, you had it in your blood. Yeah, and so there's laws actually. You know, it's not like this whole definitely become become law. It's proposed. It's yeah, I don't know if it's on. I think it's on the House floor right now because I, I, I think it's uh, Bob Morgan that proposed it, a politician from in, a north in the state. Um, he's proposed some legislation to, quote, unquote, protect medical. I don't know if it's actually specifically medical cannabis patients or if it is adult use cannabis, adult use customers. Um, but it's the idea that there might be some job protections in Illinois, and it's interesting because they chose five nanograms as the 
uh, threshold. And it's just, it's interesting because it's like, where did five nanograms come from? And I, it's impossible for a user to know. That's like an impossible thing to know. And I, I had looked up the word modus operandi, modus operandi, is that how you say it? I was going to say my modus operandi. I wanted to make sure it was the correct word. Like, I feel like if I didn't smoke, like, like if we didn't smoke right now and you would have just asked me for a blood test, I think I would have failed it and I've not smoked today. Right. Right. Like uh, I, I, yeah. Right. So I'm wondering, um, like, it just seems like an arbitrary limit. Like, and I wonder heavy users, what we've constantly got running through our blood. You know what I mean? So cool. But yeah, it's like, it's, uh, it's really interesting when you consider and you look at tests for like, uh, you know, I think I looked up one time and it was when I was high and I'm high right now. So double high folks look into this shit is the point, but you look up like tests for nuclear facilities and stuff like that. And for like things like cocaine, it's like 500 nanograms, you know, like we're not talking five nanograms. We're talking different thresholds for these drugs that are like, and I'm not, I don't know the relation. I'm not a uh, pharmacist or how, whoever you need to be to understand the differences between doses. But I'm just saying like five nanograms per milliliter. I just feel like it is just a very low threshold. And I tried to make that argue or present that case uh, to Bob Morgan. And I, I hope it didn't fall on deaf ears, but it seems to have. It's just like the case of like, just anybody with a general understanding of how cannabis is metabolized would assume that a regular user, a, a medicinal user, uh, would always fail that test. In other words, right. you're not allowed to drive a car. I don't know <laughs> what I don't know what it feels like. I don't know. Is are you like? It's such a weird thing to um, determine because it, whenever you've smoke cannabis i think in your entire life there's never like a moment where you say i'm high i'm high okay now i'm not high anymore yeah yeah that's not how it works yeah it's like drinking like you you either crash or you're just kind of still a little drunk until you sleep yeah it's so yeah the arbitrariness of it is a problem yeah the arbitrariness of it is a big problem I feel like you get got an, it's kind of ambiguous with 0.08 too. It actually is. You know of what? Of course it is. I mean, especially because you're you're probably a little toasty by the time you get to 0.08, and and in some cases though you aren't. Um, and uh, that's that's what I hear a lot is that some people won't be. I've I've heard. I've not done a lot of research into it, but the for better or for worse. Again, I've not done research into it, so I'm not making any judgment here, but. Uh, the Mothers Against Drunk, drunk Driving, MADD, um, which I think is a cause that we can agree with. We don't want people driving drunk. Uh, but I believe that these limits have been pushed pretty low. Uh, oh, yeah. And yeah. for better or for worse. I don't know if it, if it's, but uh, like you say, it is arbitrary. Well, to wrap up, um, I want to just talk about, um, you know, I think I feel like this is an easy conversation to close on. What do you think some improvements would be to our uh, program? One thing I 
shared earlier this week, which is very much in the spirit of what we've talked about, uh, Evan, which is that there was a law, HB 3085, that was approved by the Senate Judiciary Criminal Committee on 323 of 2021. I believe it's since dead. Uh, but if you want to look into it, uh, I wanted to say that so that people can look into it. HB 3085 would allow for the automatic expungement for any cannabis possession or delivery offenses that occurred on or after January 1st, 1970. And, which is nice because some of the expungement, it's weird that you have to apply for it. It's like, bitch, you should undo what you did. Like, why would I have to apply for it? But anyways, um, and would allow those uh, incarcerated for those offenses to be released. This measure would also remove criminal penalties for any amount of cannabis possession. The language has been on the floor before, folks, and we need to talk to our representatives about making uh, some meaningful reform in our cannabis law. What do you think uh, some other ways? I've got a few ideas of fear. Well, with that, it'd be... Uh, I think this is the kind of thing... I'm never going to run for office. Of, I'm not going to do that. Well, good, because you just ruined your chances by sitting down and smoking with me. I'm joking. That's This is the kind of stuff I want to be able to do. Yeah, see? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm i settled. I don't I ruined really care. My, I ruined my chances by starting this podcast. Now people are going to pull out little things I've said and done. and I'm, I don't I'm never going to be president of the United States. Nope. You no. won't see me there. But I guess the point I was going to make is that's not really true. I mean... Things get weird really quickly nowadays, like politically. We are in a volatile political market, and things are just we're really high highs and really low lows. There could be someone who comes along. It's not going to be anyone I currently know. No offense. I mean, maybe you are. <laughs> maybe it's you. Hey, maybe. There's going to be someone who comes along who is just like the right person to lead the cause and uh, chips will fall and things will happen and maybe we get lucky and someone says yeah this whole uh, medieval fear we have the superstition we have about cannabis maybe we can like kill it maybe yeah. we can like go away and political pendulums swing weirdly sometimes and just it's about catching a wave. Yeah. That's something that could happen sooner than we are ready for. Yeah. If the chip, if people kind of just get on us and just start talking about this kind of weird old school thing we do, which is like weave the criminal law in with smoking weed mm -hmm. it's just a bad old school thing that needs to go away and um i i don't think we should write it off i think i think it's very possible yeah well that's an optimistic viewpoint um we got to be open about it though we have to people who get high even casually like once every six months should not make that a secret in their lives any any more than I mean, if, if you're embarrassed of it, I guess, think about why are you? Yeah. And what harm will it do to acknowledge you're doing a legal right that has been given to you recently? Yeah. You have a recent new legal right. Have fun with it. Like, 
Yeah, that's what's interesting is that I've told people and I'm like, I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I do it. And I even when you see you see how I just told you that, I was like, yeah, yeah I look down and yeah. I'm like, I'm like kind of ashamed. And some people will be like, it's 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 interesting because sometimes I'll have like a, oh my, they'll be like, it's legal. What do you even like? And I'm like, oh yeah, it, it's yeah. just weird. I'm used to being like, ah, shit, you just got that out of me. Yes, I do. In fact, do that, you know, but it's, we'll come around. Yeah. Come around, but uh, you know, like for example, this this is something that uh, we talked about last time. Uh, just a meaningful change that I think I'd like to see is uh, we'd love to see further changes for home cultivation. I'm going to quote somebody that actually weighed in. We're working with Illinois Normal to kind of gather feedback and maybe uh, make a meaningful change to cannabis law. And so I wanted to gather some of other people's responses and somebody made an account called IL trees throw away. And they said, I would love to see further changes to home cultivation. Maybe my prudence skews towards pessimism, but I don't trust the $200 civil fine for unregistered recreational home growing. Something we talked about last time. We don't trust that it's just going to be that either. What's stopping law enforcement from writing a ticket, then immediately weighing the plants or recent harvests and hauling someone off for a possession limit violation? Got something for me on that? There might be something here. Cool. Um, Uh, Yeah, Is it it too late in the game to do this? No, no, not at all, dude. Not at all. Um, Too late. Never too late to provide facts. Man, there there was something I had seen that... So maybe it's in the definitions of like cannabis flower, but I it's, it's going to take too long for me to try to find this right now. No worries. I think there is something in there that I saw. Help me out. I'll, I'll look it up later and I'll, I'll find it for you. And if I don't find it, it means I imagined it. <laughs> but I think there is something that distinguishes between harvested cannabis and cannabis plants Ah. that is linked to what you're talking about which well, is good. a which is a very real curiosity in the in the cannabis law of Illinois how yeah. it goes out of its way to say like it's the total most minimal slap on the wrist you could get if you have multiple cannabis plants in your house yeah you'd think that that would be like the number one offense yeah it's very weird it is so i'd say if i were ever busted for it which I'm not going to be because I don't grow cannabis. But you can't have a law like that floating out there and then try to put someone in prison for something like that. You, or you can't try to make someone a felon for something that says is a 100 to $200 fine. Yeah, yeah. You can't either get rid of that law, the 100 to $200 fine law, or stick with it. But you can't have some other one mm-hmm. that applies for the same thing. Anyway, yeah. that's my take on on the inconsistency there. Yeah. And so the, the most important part of being a registered medical cannabis patient in the state of Illinois is not only the ability to cultivate cannabis at home. It's, you know, we were talking about how the state picks and chooses, which is a whole other fucking conversation that I'd love to have. Like maybe we could have a panel sometime where I have one of my friends who is like really versed in license, you know, like cannabis licensing. Cause you're more in cannabis defense and stuff. Like he does like, like into the licensing part of it and all the intricacies and that, uh, the card is the only way that the state is just like, yeah, just pay us 200 fucking dollars and you can do whatever you want. Right. Type, not whatever you want. There are some rules to the cultivation, but one of the best 
rules that the state of Illinois has going forward. And I always attribute my understanding of this law to uh, Kelvin McCabe, who was uh, on the board of directors for Illinois Normal. I've learned, I've since learned that he no longer is. I'll have to reach out and see what he's up to these days. But anyways, he he's told me that we are what's known as a keep what you grow straight, uh, keep what you grow state. Um, in other words, we have a possession limit exemption that applies to anything grown at home. This protection is equally important for all home growers. So if we legalize home grow without this, that would effectively move cultivation from legal right back to officer discretion. So it's important that any new laws that allow for adult use cultivation, no longer limiting it to just medical cannabis patients, we've got to keep that keep what you grow provision in that language. In my opinion, because other words, there's still fucking way too much discretion involved. So, yeah, I, uh, discretion always, you always have to presume that discretion is going to lean in favor of the law enforcement. Uh, it's, It's like a law of physics that that's how it works. And when you give discretion, you deprive the uh, subject, the suspect or whatever, you, you, you deprive that person of certainty and what they're doing and what's going to happen to them yeah. or, or, or whether what they're allowed to do um, is not going to get them in serious trouble. So it, I, th- I think, yeah, I, I, if I'm following you, if I'm following the question. Yeah, no, I was just kind of suggesting that like, you know, if there was any other meaningful change that we could uh, suggest, that oh. would be, you know, that would kind of be it. So, um, but, uh, hey, man, uh, last, you, before we got here, you mentioned that you just won a pretty interesting case. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Um, no? No. Okay. Well, then we won't talk Sorry. about it. But, uh, okay, well, to, you know, maybe save that for another time. Yeah, we'll but can save I, that one for another time. Can I ask you, because we talked last time, and I, I asked you, you know, what def, what cases do you continue to defend against? And the ones you're able to talk about, I felt like I only allowed you last time to give one example, and then we got onto some other tangent. The example you gave, you were like, oh, I, you know, somebody reached out to me, and they... Uh, had, got arrested for like 25 grams of cannabis and you're like why would you be getting arrested for 25 grams of cannabis come to find out it was an out-of-stater which is an right. interesting uh, line we've drawn yeah um, but could you give us some if you're able to some other examples i'm just curious because you know we talk about continuing to have to defend people with regard to cannabis is there anything right so i should I, I I probably shouldn't. I don't want talk you to about... contact on or comment on active cases, right? Uh, but um, it's more so like things maybe people should be aware of because we've talked about one thing like keep the fucking cannabis out of arm's reach. Sorry, uh, treat it like an Uzi, like you said. I think in the last episode, treat it like a fucking gun. Put put it right. all the way in the back. So, is there anything like that people are getting popped? popped for for lack of better words i mean it's odors one it's thing all, you the mentioned containers the containers it's the containers the this is like um this is, has to be changed gotcha it has to be changed it, it's we're gonna look back once it's changed we're gonna look back and say like 
that was a crazy law. And it's all the odor? Is it the odor The thing? odor. It all comes down to the it's odor. Because those memos and them saying they can use dogs, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a crazy thing. It's the, just the odor. It's like, wow, we had a criminal law that made it probable cause for any odor of weed. Not probable cause that there might be weed in the car, but probable cause that, or it's not even probable cause. It's the probable cause is the guilty verdict. <laughs> yes, exactly. The probable cause That's is the guilty so verdict. That's weird about it. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, we, the dog could smell it. You are guilty. We don't even need to search the car. Right. We don't even need to search the car. Right. Right. The, the search only serves as you're confirmation. Guilty. You're, you're yeah. guilty though. Cause we got the dog. To it's yelp. not <laughs> like this. It's not like, so it's such, it's such a beautifully horrible criminal law. Yeah. Because I've done, I, now that I'm thinking about it, I don't think there's ever been an element of an offense that is some, that, that is you possessing something that needs to be odor proof. Yeah. Odor proof. The proof is like prove it isn't smelly. Smelly. <laughs> We have a German Shepherd. <laughs> yeah. What do you have? <laughs> we got a dog. You need to prove to us that that doesn't smell. The German Shepherd, please raise your right paw. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. just like the guy says, my dog alerted. And frankly. And you say, and then they search your car because they have probable cause that you are committing unlegal, illegal, you're having the unlawful possession in the yeah. car. They have probable cause. And if they find any cannabis in any container, it's that's total confirmation. That's all the jury needs to see is that it was cannabis and the canine alerted. Yeah. You're fucked. Yeah. (laughs) The probable cause is, is the guilty verdict at the same time. Odor proof. Prove to me that this is without odor. Well, officer, I'm going to be completely honest with you. This shit smells this this is a <laughs> this I got is, this directly from the dispensary. Yeah. It stinks. Yeah. As it should. Yeah. You know? But well. anyways, uh do you know at all what Illinois is like with like possession of psychedelics? You mentioned how other states are pretty strict. Very serious. Very serious. I think okay. in Illinois, if you have a strip of LSD, like ten hits of acid, it's a class X felony. I think. Ten yeah. hits or more. That only makes sense because those people are super dangerous. Yeah, it's um, crazy. It's really crazy. It's crazy. Well, let's let's wrap this thing up. I think one of the last the last little things that I just think are stupid, just in the vein of limits, because I think the limits are the dumbest thing with regard to the law. It's like it's only this legal, but as soon as you <laughs> you know as soon as you surpass this limit, you are dangerous, right? To you, yourself, other society, and therefore we have to. Uh, It's interesting that it's legal as a medical cannabis patient to cultivate five plants, but the moment moment you have six plants, it is a felony. Right. It's like what? What? Why is that the line? Yeah. Why is that the line? To to, I just you know. I think the disconnect is like, um, you need to get in trouble for breaking the law, (laughs) but getting in trouble if you're a state's attorney's office. Your only tool are criminal convictions. That's like the only thing you can 
views or criminal convictions. And what's not appreciated is how much those fuck up people's lives. Yeah. It's not like a game. It's, it's not like a business transaction you'd have with someone like at the DMV. It's like, well, those are, those can be serious too, but yeah. it really is serious shit. And if, the distinctions between the good and the bad between like the evildoers and the innocent is such an arbitrary line. Yeah. We're doing something wrong as a civilized society where people live and enjoy the pursuit of happiness and enjoy freedom. Evan, that was a very articulate and beautiful way to end this show. Thank you so much for sitting down with me today uh, for another episode of the Chillinois Podcast. Folks, I hope you found some value in this episode. If you'd like, if you need, uh, you know, defense services or whatever else, if you need legal advice, I'm sure you've got some route for consultation. I don't know. If you need... Contact ev- us. Yeah, contact them. We'll have Bruno the- Law Offices. We'll have the uh, website in the podcast description for you. So, but yeah, search up Bruno Law Offices. You'll find them. And uh, thank you. Happy Halloween. (laughs) Happy Halloween, everybody. Look out for those uh, infused treats that apparently everybody's just giving out. That's a good, interesting That's the new razor blade in the candy? Yeah. Did you hear the attorney general? I I promise we'll close after this. The, the, The attorney general issued a warning that there might be the Illinois attorney general in conjunction with a bunch of other attorney generals that there may be cannabis infused cannabis uh, candy floating around. So you need to check your children's candy. Don't let TikTok fads get a hold of that. <laughs> it will happen then. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's scary. Don't do that. Don't anyone do that. Yeah. For the love of God, don't do that. <laughs> See, you, yeah, I have kids yeah. who are going to be trick or treating. If you do that to my kids, I'll kick your ass. Yeah, you want me to find the Taken quote? I will find you. Yeah, I'll I'll find you. you. (laughs) I'm not going to commit any batteries of any person. (laughs) All right. Chillinois, we'll see you next time.